Christmas holiday edition of Rankin Review. This episode is dropping on Christmas Eve of 2014. We are going to look at six horror movies that are set in a Christmas timescape. And my guest this episode is Robbie Tanner. So if you are into an alternate Christmas viewing plan, then I suggest you play along. Thank you so much, as always, for listening to Rank and Review. This is your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons. As usual, expect coarse language, expect spoilers, and expect to enjoy the show. Okay, so here it goes with episode 34 of Rank and Review with my returning guest, Robbie Tanner. And uh, are we feeling Christmassy tonight? Yes, <laughs> yeah, it's plus 19 out. It's, it's beautiful outside. Yeah. That's, now it sounds that, like that Christmas. That sounds like Christmas to me, yeah. Um, so yeah, this episode is dropping on Christmas Eve, even though it's being recorded well before then. Uh, and thank you, I know this was sort of on assignment. Uh, you didn't, you didn't handpick this group of movies, I sort of said... Please, somebody do Christmas, and you 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 dove on the grenade. Uh, <laughs> was it just you being have to be, another, be a part of another podcast, or was there something about Christmas that spoke to you? Or um, I th- yeah, I think more the former. Uh, it wasn't so much Christmas as I I wanted to do another one, and uh, as you said, you had sent <laughs> I out had the, needs. <laughs> you had needs. <laughs> well, I mean. It's not uncommon to have movies with a with a Christmas context to them used in an ironic fashion. Usually, you'll see it in action movies. Actually, in the '80s, it was kind of a staple. Lethal Weapon and Die Hard are both set at Christmas, and uh, it was very common to hear Christmas music for a reason. Uh, it's a backdrop to mayhem. Uh, with this one, I went a little bit scarier with most of the selections. Uh, arguably, maybe not Gremlins, but uh, it was scary when I saw it when I was a little kid. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, but I do think there is another side to the holidays. I mean, suicides go up over the holidays. There's, uh, which is mentioned in gremlins. Yeah. There's a lot of people have a lot of stresses and, and, uh, you know, working, I work with the RCMP and the, they have extra staff on during the holidays because there tends to be more family disputes and fights breaking out. Certainly any family Christmas I've been to. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, Sooner so, or later the dirty laundry comes out. There's the picture of, you know, yay, uh, Christmas is jolly and our families get together, but there is sort of a deadly dark undercurrent to it. And I don't think it's sacred. There was this movie that came out in the 80s called Silent Night, Deadly Night with a killer Santa Claus. 
It's an absolutely horrible movie. I, it's not on my wall, and there's some horrible <laughs> movies on my wall. But it got picketed. It got, like, <clears throat> it was one of those cases where, um, to quote The Simpsons, the screwheads have spoken, <laughs> where they, you know, in some cases successfully got the movie pulled from theaters. But at the same time, all of the promotion and the noise that they were making about the movie made lots of people go to see the movie who would have otherwise never have bothered. <laughs> same with, uh, what was it, uh, something, something Eden with, um, was it Rosie O'Donnell and... Oh, right. Exit to Eden. Was that it? Exit yeah. to something like that. I can look it up if that's and wrong. And it was... It was uh, just yeah, a really bad movie over and about anything else, but uh, yeah. But there was some little scene suggestive of bondage, and there was oh, a big, no. there was a whole big kerfuffle about that, and a bunch of people went to see it. I think <laughs> who wouldn't have and shouldn't have. Uh, I would be one of those. Count myself among those. They were just trying to find a reason to get people to pay money to see Rosie O'Donnell in a movie. <laughs> so. Who else was in that? Um, Dan Aykroyd, I think, was in it. Yes, yes, and he's he's a great, great Canadian treasure in my mind, but not everything he touches is gold, unfortunately. Um, I guess we should mention the six movies that we are going to discuss, um, which are, um, we have Gremlins from Joe Dante, oh, it up. <laughs> directed by Joe Dante and uh, written by Chris Columbus, the man who... Uh, Directed the first two Harry oh. Potter Harry Potter films. Right, right. Um, we have a really grim Christmas tale called The Children uh, from the UK. We have a Canadian slasher classic question mark Black Christmas. <laughs> we have uh, a suspense thriller called P Two about a woman who gets stranded in a parking lot on Christmas Eve. We have a really a uh, couple bizarre. Uh, Subtitled pictures to round it out. Uh, Sint uh, about the uh, myth of uh, a different Santa Claus who shows up to punish the wicked as opposed to reward the the, the good, and uh, the deeply strange uh, but watchable rare exports uh, about a little boy who finds out that uh, some miners who were working nearby have unearthed a very evil version of Santa Claus. <laughs> Yeah, those those two were interesting in as much as they're sort of alternate tellings of the Santa Claus mythos. Sinterklaas and yeah. Sinterklaas, yes. and um, and uh, interestingly, both kind of from uh, the same area of the world, uh, Finland and and Holland, I believe. Yeah. But going back to the theme of Christmas having a sort of a darker undercurrent, do you remember being subjected to the story of the little matchstick girl when you were a kid? You know? No. <laughs> this little girl who ends up freezing to death outside, lighting one match at a time under a door stoop while inside a family is enjoying a Christmas meal. <laughs> no. La 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 la. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Uh, and uh, just the also sort of there's the sort of ugly underside sort of commercial sort of thing of Christmas. Is it a celebration of family? Is it a religious holiday? Uh, or is it just an excuse to get people to do a lot of shopping? And Or maybe all of those things. A little things bit for... of each, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, but today we're talking about scary things. So uh, if you're looking for something to do on Christmas Eve uh, uh, that's a little against the, the grain, <laughs> play along at home. You ready to get you started? Yeah, let's do it. Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood? 
Crisp winter nights, star bright, sleigh bells, crackling yule logs, candlelight glistening off of shimmering Christmas trees, chestnuts roasting over open fires, carolers beneath snow-covered window ledges. Remember those. Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. Black Christmas, starring Olivia Hussey, Keir Dulay, Margot Kidder, and starring John Saxon as Lieutenant Fuller. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. Bob Clark uh, is an interesting Canadian filmmaker. Unfortunately, he died uh, early than a lot of than I would have liked to see how further and more interesting his career would become. He was killed in a car accident. He and his son outside of Los Angeles, I think around two thousand seven or something like that. But his career spans such uh, pseudo classics as A Christmas Story and Porky's. Which I have never seen. To this movie, Black Christmas. To the Sylvester Stallone, Dolly Parton romp, Rhinestone. To the talking baby classic, Baby Geniuses. What I'm saying is, Mr. Clark was all over the map. Uh, and uh, not everything was masterpieces, but I mean... Uh, I mean, I like him because he's Canadian, and I like him because he seemed willing to try anything. Um, so we get points for that. Over and above this preamble and my interest in Bob Clark, I do think, before we get into the review pro proper, something needs to be said about this movie. Uh, because not everything I'm going to say is positive, but this is something that needs to be recognized for. This movie predates Halloween. Predates a lot of things. Uh, 1974. And yeah. it's, it's, uh, as far as that goes, that was kind of one of the things that I found interesting about it. The point of view work was breaking new ground as far as predates gopros yeah right and as far as them you know just making the decision we're not going to see this killer we're going to see through his eyes but we're not going to see this killer and sticking with it up including and we're already going vast spoilers to the end <clears throat> the killer gets away at the end the basic halloween template is in this movie and halloween is four years away but Halloween is widely regarded as the film that started the slasher craze, and it was definitely more popular than this one. But I want to say, let it be said, our Canadian filmmaker Bob Clark got there first, and he did it reasonably well within the conventions of the mid-1970s. It also predates uh, the 1979 <coughs> film When a Stranger Calls. Correct. Yeah. And it had a similar sort of uh, element to it of that, that uh, the person, it turns out, is calling from inside the house. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. Do you remember that? Did you ever see one of Stranger Yeah, actually, it's going to be talked about soon. I'm doing a, a podcast called Slasher Cinema, A History, ah. in which both the films you mentioned will be, will be spoken of. Because, yeah, and I remember the tagline for it, when a stranger calls, don't answer the phone. Yeah. And thinking back, that's considerably before um, call display. Mm -hmm. So how would you know it was a stranger calling until you answered the phone? <laughs> kind of. You don't know. You don't know. <laughs> See? But See? I, I remember this template before I'd seen either Black Christmas or When a Stranger Calls. It was like, to me, one of these urban myths, like the hook-handed serial killer, the babysitter right. who gets a series of scary calls. She finally calls the police. They trace the calls. They're coming from inside the house. And the children that she's been watching are already dead. <laughs> well... Let's uh, let's bring the subject around to Black Christmas, which is what we're going to be talking that. about. Let's do that a shot. Um, what did you think of Black Christmas? It was um, 
Um, well, I guess we can dive kind of into the details. First of all, it had Karen yeah. Dulay in it uh, from, was it Space Odyssey 2001? I believe so, yeah. And he was also in a film shot in Delisle called Paperback Hero. Right. Uh, Margot Kidder, still Margot barely Kidder. hanging on to sanity for this production. Yeah, uh, Andrea Martin yeah, as well. Yeah, TV. Yeah, so th- there were some, some names, I guess, before they were names in it. Olivia Hussey, who a lot of people know from uh, uh, the Zeffirelli, Romeo and Juliet, but I will always know from the TV miniseries version of It. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so a fairly interesting cla- cast and some Canadian content to be found in there, which we like to see. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, beyond sort of the groundbreaking, um, I'm assuming for the time, things like the point of view shooting yeah. before the GoPros, um, and not not revealing the killer or not revealing the uh, the antagonist anywhere along the way, um, sort of neat devices that that uh, and it, it intrigued me enough that I went in and watched some of the extras on it, yeah. and how that really wasn't done, and they weren't sure necessarily that an audience was going to accept that and allow it. Yeah, um, I think it did okay at the box office probably, so it kind of. It broke a little ground here and there, and and deserves some accolades for that. At the time this was being made, this was not just another slasher movie. There was sort of the drive-in sleaze sort of subculture, ultra cheap, sleazy movies that you would see. But as far as mainstream studio releases, slasher movies weren't done. So this was a, a different step, and it was, on one hand, I think interestingly being exceedingly dark in in the storytelling. But on the other hand, holding back a lot as far as the levels of violence that we would be getting used to seeing in subsequent slasher films. Yeah, uh, yeah. there's no. It was, it was understated. It was enough to know that they were being hunted. Yeah, uh, there was it was about lot... them being hunted, not about them being killed. Exactly, exactly. And yeah. so there wasn't a lot of uh, really a lot of time and energy wasted on special effects for the gore fun- factor. It was more suspense than it was about the actual gore fest. Mm-hmm. But, which, I, which I appreciate, yeah. actually. But where this works against the movie, and this is just because, you know, a lot of years have passed, is that we have seen things subsequent to this. So the woman walking slowly down the hall calling out for her friend is not as suspenseful anymore because <laughs> we have seen it a lot of times. Um, you know, a lot of the sort of false scares, you know, joke payoffs that happen in the movie. At the time, they were again trying something new and you know it wasn't every day now false scares are sort of things that irritate me it's sort of like something that you do when you're not telling the story (laughs) (laughs) you know Uh, Uh, some uh, one little thing I had here is right at the very beginning well the opening actually was because it was that point of view Mm -hmm. uh, it was it was interesting in that respect and it wasn't um, it wasn't a lot there wasn't a lot of time wasted in the opening Uh, there was some establishing of characters but it didn't waste a lot of time with stuff, like you're saying, not telling the story. Yeah. We haven't really mentioned the plot, but just bare bones is that uh, this university campus is emptying out for Christmas vacation, and the handful of uh, girls at this one sorority house uh, who have stayed behind for one reason or another uh, are being stalked by a killer. This in the backdrop of a nervous parent who has come to pick up uh, his daughter is desperate to find out what has happened to her because he is sure that she has come to foul play. And he is quite right. In fact, her body, we need, we know, is perched in the attic for almost the entire length of the movie. Well, the entire length of the movie, really. More or less, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the, there was one, like some little things. There were, there were lots of neat little aspects of it in the characters that... Um, that fleshed out the story without necessarily telling it and lending itself directly to the plot. Like the... Uh, 
what I called sort of the Mrs. Garrett character. Mm-hmm. The uh, housekeeper, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the way, you know, she was a raving alcoholic, and when she's brushing her teeth and singing the Broadway musicals <laughs> at the same time, and then pulling flasks of liquor out from various hidey holes. Yeah. And, and continuing to get gunned. The, um, the, the uh, Margot Kidder character at the, uh, the underprivileged children um, little fundraiser thing, getting little kids drunk, yeah, and that and that Santa, the, the foul mouth Santa, like ho ho ho, fuck, <laughs> yeah, and exactly, uh, I we've seen a lot of foul mouth Santas, and bad Santa has come subsequently, but again, I'm wondering in 1974, and again yeah. as a Christmas movie, a lot of times the Black Christmas is gone under several different names, but uh, I think Black Christmas works appropriately, and it is you know, the anti-Christmas movie in a lot of ways. Well, here's a lovely story about a young woman who's having a fight with her boyfriend because she wants to get an abortion, and he doesn't. And yes. how's it going to end? With her boyfriend dead and blamed for a series of murders he didn't commit. Yeah. Merry Christmas, kids. <laughs> so, don't let this happen to you. Uh, I liked a lot of the um, the scenery. I liked the fact it seemed like it was shot on a university campus. It had lots of old stone buildings with a cool architecture and those sorts of uh, images I found lovely. Yeah. I really enjoyed that part of it. Uh, and it's from the era of turtlenecks and men wearing fur coats. It's undeniably dated. <laughs> it is undeniably dated. And it is distractingly 70s. And uh, there are times where that even overtakes the proceedings a little bit and takes away from the scares. And that's no real fault to the movie except for the fact that, you know, that's when it was made. I think what makes it stand out a little bit more, again, other than being first to the party in a lot of respects, is not so much the kills, not so much the suspense, which we've seen subsequent in movies and probably done better, honestly. But I think the phone calls that this Billy character is making and tormenting these girls are really ugly and like disturbing. Oh yes, he does actually get quite foul. Yeah, in the and, and like in the use of the language and name calling and it's not just a dirty fun prank call. There's no. something super ugly and sinister about it. And I think those phone calls, which bring to mind things like Scream, you mentioned when a stranger calls, which again I think Scream the template also does. But the use of the telephone to escalate the suspense here. I think is really good. And I think that those conversations, particularly the ones between Billy and, and Olivia Hussey's character, are, yeah. are, are the most effectively, quote-unquote, scary things in the movie for me. There's lots of scenes that are trying to be scary and suspenseful and that superficially are, but... the familiar been maybe at the time, yeah, more so. Their familiarity and their, their use with time has sort of taken their edge away. Those phone calls still still work. And in those phone calls, I wondered who the the, char- the characters were, because it was sort of a multiple personality disorder series of, uh, in some cases, um, sort of stream of consciousness sounding stuff with different voices. Um, sometimes it, I thought maybe that it was the person he was killing was also... Right. He, he had done something to them, and while they were dying, he was holding the phone to them and then picking it up and talking into it. I'm, I'm not sure. Well, another precedent to this would obviously be Psycho. I kind of got that a little bit of a Norman Bates vibe off of our killer too. Like yeah. he wasn't, he didn't just become a monster; he was made one by some other monster. <laughs> well, and that's because there were other names mentioned, like uh, Billy and I think Agnes yeah. in the phone calls, and so I, it suggested some sort of backstory and and where this character comes from, but you never really get into it. And they don't fill it out so much to the point where you know, 
all the things are answered easily for you. We yeah. obviously know that this person is disturbed and he's hunting these girls, and that's really, in the end, all we need to know for the story to work. Oh, towards the end, when we're getting to the um, to the end of the movie, uh, the 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 girl doesn't really have the best instincts. <laughs> the uh, when they finally do the trace, and that's why it's called a wire trace, because they literally had to you you know do that trace the wires through all that electromechanical stuff in the switching right. stations. Tracing a call was running a back deal. and forth. Yeah, when the desk sergeant, I guess, calls and says you have to get out of the house. She runs in the house and goes upstairs, and then and then when that doesn't pan out, runs into the basement. Um, yeah, no, there are some of these slasher movie conventions, and uh, again, I think somebody who's going to sit down to watch Black Christmas typically is a fan of the genre or isn't, and uh, will... I mean, yeah, you're right to call it out, because it is bullshit. Anybody with half a brain in their head, you know, uh, is it too cold think, outside? I don't think it would be a brain. It would be like, there's a killer in the house. Must leave. Yeah. I, I don't think there'd be a lot of thought involved. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would be, oh. Uh, especially after confirming that the other girls in the house were dead. Like, I would expect a cartoon body-shaped hole in the nearest wall, right, to get the fuck out of that place. Uh, uh, the Oh, one of the things, though, when she did actually come face-to-face with him, and there was that shot of his just his eye Very briefly, through, yeah. That was, that was kind of well done. Mm-hmm. That was eerie and creepy, and however they lit it, yeah. it was, excuse me, it was as if his... Um, his eye was kind of backlit almost from the inside. Well, and it was the one time that they broke the perspective on the killer, which is why I'm sort of mixed on it. Part of me sort of thought that they should stick with it, but the other thing, because we hadn't seen him, to actually see him for a split second was jarring. Yeah. But in a way, my thought was to almost do that would be for him to catch his own reflection in a mirror or something like mm. that. But, uh, uh, you know, that's what I would do if I remade it. In a lot of ways, this is more an interesting sort of slasher movie for people who are interested in horror movies and sort of the back history of it. It's not necessarily essential horror viewing, but like I say, it does earn points for me for being first. Yes. And um, I, I like that it's you know, Canadian made <laughs> and uh, you can do worse for, for slasher thrillers, especially of this era. There were a couple of things that I, I again, like in terms of consistency, in the attic, how did all that stuff get up there through that little tiny trap door? <laughs> like there was that, there was a chest. There was that. It looked like a, a, a merry-go-round pony. And the whole plot hinges on the police who come to search the house, not finding the attic at all. Well, that there's that uh, not dusting for fingerprints yeah. on the the phone that was used in the, the Mrs. Garrett's room or whatever her name. I call her Mrs. Garrett from Facts Away. She's right? Mrs. Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think she's the inspiration for the Mrs. Garrett character. Of course, of course, yeah. <laughs> um, so there's there's that. Plus, uh, when um, I believe it's a Caradulay character when he finds his girlfriend. In the basement, or how did he know she's in the basement? Break the window. Why would he not come to the door if he weren't the killer? Which it turns out he isn't. Yes. That one was a bit of a stretch for me. Yeah. But but uh, you know, I, I let it go. And again, it, it needed... this is another thing for the time. Like at the time, would people? For me, he screamed obvious red herring. You're right. But at the time, would it, would it be so obvious? Because right. we haven't seen this template a million times before. So. And again, I keep saying the same thing over and over again about this movie. It's completely adequate. It's well done. For the time, quite innovative. For today, it, it kind of... The scares are sort of dulled a little bit with age. It's hard to deny that, but it's it's an interesting watch. What I, well, and that's sort of the more the historical the historical um, merit of it is yeah. kind of what I found fascinating and did a little reading, like I said, watched some of the extras on it yeah. and how it... It was a, a first of in a lot of ways for its time, and it was it was kind of interesting 
from that respect, you know, more from the historical than the, it's actually going to scare the hell out of you. Because <laughs> it didn't really... <laughs> I was... Really, none of them it's were... It's a fairly PG level, with the exception of the phone calls, where he drops the C-bomb a couple of times. In times. a lot of ways, this is a fairly PG, you know, you could watch it on primetime horror movie. I liked that ending, where everyone's getting ready to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, though you can hear the wind blowing outside the house, and you can hear the phone kind of ringing in its lonely little way all by itself inside the house. Yeah. Um, there, I thought that was that was really effective. And then and then the credits roll and there's not a lot of noise. There's there wasn't really a big jump scare at the end, which sort yeah. of became a staple later on. Yeah, that but it hasn't just, even been established yet. Really. It was just enough to say, Yeah, you got the wrong guy. Yeah. And the killer's <laughs> still out there. Don't go home feeling safe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it didn't it didn't resolve in the classic sort of we got the bad guy. Yeah. And there's a jump scare, but we still got him. Yeah. Uh, in this one, it's like, no, no, you didn't. Evil gets away with it on Christmas. We have Santa Claus. What is that? Where is Mr. Green? Santa. He's going to find out who is naughty or nice. Okay, uh, we're going to look at a foreign picture now called Rare Exports. I believe when I gave you the list, uh, I I tantalized you with the prospect of the fact that uh, I was going to give you a Christmas movie with the most male full frontal nudity. You were not kidding about that. (laughs) You were... There's you, a lot of there's a lot of hanging swinging dicks in this movie. There's more floppy schlong than Game of Thrones. Just, just everywhere. Very very interesting movie because uh, the central character. Not for that. No no not just for that. But, uh, <laughs> uh, the 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 main character is this uh, interesting little kid who lives with his sort of refugee father, who's a butcher. They make their living, you know, uh, killing these deer and uh, butchering them and. Selling. Selling them. They make a lot of sort of harsh living off of the land. By the pound. And Sell them by the pound. <laughs> a nearby uh, mountain range is being excavated by a crew, and uh, they make a interesting discovery. They, frozen in a huge block of ice is this uh, horned devil Santa Claus figure. Yeah. And upon his awakening, strange events start happening. A lot of crazy shit starts happening. The boy is being spied upon at night to make sure that he's being a good little boy. And uh, we are sort of introduced to this really interesting culture uh, around Christmas time. Um, it is a very interesting and undeniably unique Christmas movie. It, it uh, flies in the face think? of some convention. I, <laughs> I, and I will say this across the board. I liked all the movies yeah, for that's good to hear. Yeah, that's good. There was none where I was sitting there going, "Oh, Larry, please, why, why? Yeah. <laughs> what well, did I do to you?" And I did, the theme I did of like Christmas horror movies, I could have really dealt you some some stinkers. It's true. <laughs> we did okay this week, I think. Uh, it opens again. It's another another decent opening uh, with the the guys in the mining camp, and then there's that that thing where uh, the the um, I don't know, sort of the principal investigator or whatever he is says. Uh, um, they dig up the the um, drill bit or whatever the the core sample and it has sawdust in it. Yeah, and it turns out that what they've done is they've refrigerated this goat Santa <laughs> to keep him frozen. Then and then they get these rules that no swearing, 
no smoking or drinking, positive attitude. And they, they've yeah. got a whole new set of safety rules. Uh, smile, say, you know, be polite. Say, and if anybody's ever worked on a construction crew, you know, just no swearing is almost hilarious on its face. In its, in its own right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so there was a, it's a lovely, you know, straight ahead opening and then uh, moving on to the, the two little kids that are watching this thing happen and then they sneak away from the, the uh, work site, the dig site. Um, lovely scenery. I, yeah. th- I thought the scenery was just incredible and they, they made good use of it. There is something Spielbergian about this movie to me in a weird way, especially with the central emphasis on this little kid and his rather strained relationship with his father. Obviously, the mother has isn't there isn't there anymore, has left the picture, and it has damaged his father. And he's a little bit of a, a neglected son as a result. And he acts out as a result. But we also sort of see that he lives around danger, over and above it being freezing cold. There's uh, traps, deadfall traps for wolves, like immediately surrounding his house, which come in handy as a plot point later on in the movie. Uh, And uh, when he wants to talk to his dad, because his dad's a butcher, there's this, he he can walk into the shed where his dad's doing the butcher, but he has to close his eyes to have a conversation with his father. And that sort of... It's a bit isolated it's as a, a result. It, a further detachment from his father, but you also sort of understand that from his father's perspective, it's coming from a, a pure place. You, you don't need to see me filleting this animal. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, I go all delicatessen on this hog. Right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, so you understand it, and you like these characters, even though they yeah. are rough-hewn. You know? they're, they're, they're human and likable. Yeah. Still flawed and, and fundamentally so, but likable, and you don't want bad things to happen to them. I will also say, of all of these movies, this film has the best jump scare of any of them. There's a scene where the little kid, having become afraid of Santa, puts a bear trap in the, uh, in the, in the fireplace, and his uh, father yes, yes. goes to put a log in the fireplace first thing in the morning, and that bear trap snaps in his hand, and I fucking jumped in my seat because I was not expecting that and neither was he obviously and of course the kid gets in a lot of trouble for putting a fucking bear trap in the fireplace but there it is uh I, you know I did not expect that when that happened that jump scare really got me so I had to give points for that uh one thing that the performances uh, across the board mm-hmm. seem really solid yeah. and I I, at the same time, I was wondering, is it just because I don't understand the language <laughs> and I'm reading the subtitles? It's is, played very straight, considering how ridiculous the subject matter is. Yeah. Everybody is holding their cards close to their chest. And it seems the deeper we get into the movie, the more odd it becomes. But the characters never, never break. They're always taking it seriously. So you do too. These uh, weird Santa Claus helpers, uh, I wish I had their proper name here for you, but uh, they look like these tall, skinny Santa Claus figures, but they're not the, the guy. They're, they go out and keep an eye on the kids to see what are the, which kids are being good and which kids are being bad. And reporting and back to Santa. There are these naked old men walking around in the bitter cold and perching outside of little kids' windows and eating elk raw. Like, it's... Fucked up, <laughs> like that's crazy. And the sort of thesis where this movie is going is, we find out what this movie is is the origin story to where Santa Claus uh, mall Santas come from, essentially. Right. <laughs> Upon defeating the evil in the mountain, these 
bewitched elvish creatures sort of become these empty cells <clears throat> that happen to look just like Santa Claus and have these rare exports. Yeah, yeah. They, and they, they happen to these them. weird eternal creatures. I don't know what they do when it's not the Christmas season. They just stand in a closet somewhere. <laughs> but Presumably. So odd, so strange. The other, and, the other sort of strange thing about that was the easy acceptance of this more or less supernatural phenomenon. Mm-hmm. The, the characters still more or less deadpan mm-hmm. uh, and well we can turn a buck on this yeah. <laughs> you know they... there's the one scene where uh, the, all of the guys have captured one of the pseudo Santas and they're trying to figure out what to do with him when they realize this is clearly not a person he's fallen into this trap he probably should be dead from his injuries already and not only is he not dead but he is showing again and again to be quite quite strong um, yeah. a question for you and for the makers of this film, and uh, just in earnest, I'm a fan, but who is this movie for? That's a good question. Uh, I, I'm not really sure. <laughs> I mean, uh, you, you know, it was. I'm based, glad it exists. I it was like based it. on two short films that right. they had done. These two promos, sort of like the way Nine, you know, the animated series. Correct. Nine, yeah. There was a short film, and and then someone it, said uh, we should do a feature length of that. Give me more. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And so the story. And sometimes what happens is when something short is loved or liked enough to do that, the feature length ends up kind of sucking because it's just quickly throwing something together to try and capitalize on whatever momentum. Yeah. That wasn't the case here. No, and it I, wasn't I, the case in Nine. It didn't. It didn't overtake it. Like, and this is a short movie. I think it's actually less than ninety minutes. Like, it gets the job done fairly quickly. Yeah, they don't piss about. But. Like I say, they have this big Spielberg moments with the family bonding and this really powerful father-son sort of sub-story that actually could be, you know, commonplace in a legit Christmas movie. But then we also have these creepy naked Santa gnomes and we have some pretty harsh violence, you know, speckled throughout it. So it's like a hard R movie starring a cute little kid with yeah. a feel-good... And he was intriguing looking, too. Yeah, exactly. And his costumes. Oh, and then when he demanded that his father give him a spanking, because he'd... I've done something really bad. Yeah, Yeah. it's like, you got to spank me, because then I won't be abducted by the creepy naked gnomes. Yeah. And his father, understandably not believing his son. You get the feeling that there's already this, this separation between the two, because his son is so different than him. He doesn't completely understand him. He loves his son, but, you know, his son wears a cape and campers about and doesn't take life seriously as this hardened butcher, (laughs) right? Right. (laughs) So they have to find a way to meet each other halfway, and they find that place in the movie. So there is that, aw shucks, everything is better at Christmas ending. (laughs) In a way, yeah, and it comes at it from a different angle. You get that warm payoff that you want at the end of a holiday movie, but (laughs) in a package that is deeply, deeply fucked. (laughs) Well, there was... um, And and that was sort of the thing I liked about... One of the things I liked about this, uh, as opposed to some movies that are... They're inconsistent in as much as they're not this genre, they're not that genre, and now it's ridiculous, and now it's dead serious, and now it's that. Yeah. They, all, there are all those sorts of elements in it, but it remained, it, it kept that consistency, that, that sort still of, felt the, the overriding world. tone. Yeah. 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 We still believe we we're in the right, the same world. Nothing broke the rea- quote-unquote reality of this place. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, what I really have to give Rare X points 
exports points for is that it's it's unlike any other movie I've seen. Uh, like I can't compare it to anything. I can't even say it's this mixed with this. Rare exports just kind of is rare exports. Yeah. And for that, big points. Exactly. <laughs> Hi, mom. You're not gonna believe what happened. Angela, are you calling me from work? Believe me, I can't wait to get out of here and see you guys. Please don't be any later. I promise, I won't. Okay, um, we're going to talk about P2, which is uh, produced and co-written by sort of a big name in the horror genre, to some anyway, Alexandre Aja. Um, he didn't direct it, uh, his production producing partner directed it, but um, he is responsible for the remake of The Hills Have Eyes, and more recently the remake of Piranha. Hmm. And uh, he did the French film called High Tension, and uh, another... I believe remake of an Asian film called Mirrors with Kiefer Sutherland in it. Uh, he does big budget, bloody horror movies, and as a rule, I like I like the man, uh, in spite of him being French. So you know, <laughs> nobody's perfect. <clears throat> what we're looking at with P two is uh, a fairly classic sort of cat and mouse thriller in a lot of ways. It's almost closer to your traditional thriller than it is a slasher horror movie. Although it definitely does get to the elements of horror as, as it progresses. Somewhat. Um, on Christmas Eve, a young woman is working late. She's played by Rachel Nichols. Nichols, yeah. Thank you. From Continuum. And uh, she finds herself locked in the parking garage and seeks the assistance initially of a security guard. Until we find out the security guard, as far as we know, the only other person in this place with her is out of his goddamn mind and has been... He's crazy in love. Has been sort of watching her through surveillance cameras for a long, long time and saw this opportunity as she was the only person left in the building to get some quality time with her. Yeah. And seizes it. Yeah, he's... he's um you know, he's a bit awkward in his approach, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, love will find a way. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> aggressive, little little past the confident. Let's say. Yeah, you know? uh, this character is played Misunderstood. by Wes Bentley. Uh, he first came into favor with American Beauty, which won a bunch of Oscars in the late 1900s, <laughs> and uh, uh, he was sort of this creepy neighbor kid. Um, and a lot of his scenes ended up being cut out of American Beauty, but even the stuff that he got to do in the movie, I, I remember thinking, that kid's really good. And, you know, 10, 15 years later, like, we're st- we hardly see him. Um, so it's good to see his face again and to see him in a, in a role that he can really sink his teeth into. The real trick with a movie with this, with as familiar a premise as this, is does the acting or the script elevate it past, uh, you know all of the photocopies of this that we've seen before. Is there anything here to distinguish it from any of the others? And does the Christmas setting do or mean anything? Uh, Does it matter that it was set at Christmas after a point? I don't think it does in as much as it doesn't necessarily 
add to a contrast of it's a bad time when everything should be rosy and it's more and just a plot element to give an excuse why there's nobody else around. I think I think that was the main reason for it being there. Yeah. yeah. The um, this one for me again the the writing was solid. Yeah. It was consistent throughout. It didn't really deviate. Uh, it had it had good suspenseful elements. Uh, when we meet him, he had some good slow burn psychotic moments. Um, kind of that soft-spoken, almost like that Mark Wahlberg soft-spoken. Like, yeah. Oh, da, da. Well, she's changed to the table. Yeah. And uh, can I get you anything? Oh, let me get you some wine. <laughs> A detachment. Glossing over details that, you know, uh, are pretty significant. The yes. fact that he has changed her entire wardrobe while she was unconscious. Yeah. And has chained her to a table, you know. Like, that's inappropriate. That's, that's way fucking over the line. That's not just romantic. Yeah, and he knows it, but he's not going to talk about it. He's going to talk yeah. about everything but that. Yeah. And he's going to try and make it sweet and romantic in spite of that. It's like when you say something offensive and you quickly try and change the subject. Just keep moving on yeah. past. Yeah, yeah we'll just uh, that pretend little that didn't happen. Yeah. If and she really likes him, she won't, yeah. she won't really worry about the other stuff. And the creepy thing about this is that in that sort of young, close to stalker, like teenage love thing that I think a lot of males go through, it's not far from this. <laughs> you know, it's not, I mean, it's not so far. It's I'm not <laughs> saying that they're going to chain a girl to a table, but that sort of thing in your head that this was meant to be, and if I can create the scenario which brings us together, we will be together. This sort of disconnection from reality. You learn to love me. It's kind of adorable when it's a 15-year-old, you know, acne-scarred teenager who just doesn't know... Well, minus the captivity. Yeah. Well, I mean, just the intention of the, you know, I love this girl, so therefore the universe will bend to make her love me. Anyway, I'm not saying I relate to the Wes Bentley character. I'm just saying that this is sort of an an exaggeration of something that is in a lot of guys, okay? There's one thing that I I found, and it didn't detract from anything, but it was sort of a thing that kind of sticks out, is whenever lights are coming on or going off Mm -hmm. in a big way, there's always that chunk sound. Right. Chunk. And then, you know, and then a little, and then the next section goes dark, and then the next section goes dark. Yeah. Well, why that huge chunking noise? <laughs> I have no idea because it's a cool dramatic effect. In the exactly, sound exactly. And I'm not saying that it distracted or took away from the film for me. It was just yeah. something like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> they certainly don't, like I say, use the Christmas sort of milieu as anything to sharpen the horror or as to you know play against. They do manage to make parking garages scary, and I do think that parking garages are kind of an inherently creepy place. I think I think especially for for women at in in a large sense that there's this place it's underground it's um you feel safe in the office you feel safe in the car this is the space in between there's that no man's land hopefully i think yeah. where there's vulnerability and and unlike black christmas we get to see this guy right away yeah. and 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 there's really no there's really very quickly we know who it is and what he's about and so the tension has to come from something else yeah as opposed to um, Windchill, where the guy was set up as this possibly creepy stalker type, and then it turns out that he's not. This time, he really is yeah. that, exactly what that is. And so there's not a lot of pretense involved, a lot a lot of um, a screw you to the audience, like, haha, it's really something else. Yeah. It's, that's the guy, and what happens next? 
I do think where there may be a little bit of sort of sway and creak in the screenplay is how crazy he is in a given scene to a next scene. He is really good at covering himself when he has to talk with other cops and he has to close the gate. But he has full-on flip-out scenes with Rachel Nichols where, you know, his insanity is laid naked before them. (laughs) And uh, uh, in my limited experience with mental illness, it tends to be typically more one or the other. (laughs) <laughs> uh, not the range not the, the, the range spectrum. that he plays with moment to moment is very entertaining and interesting for the movie and keeps the intensity really up and the suspense is coming is how is she going to get out of here so or if he she? starts if he starts screaming nose to nose at the police officers for daring to question his authority <laughs> like he would want to do then the movie ends right they, they, they arrest him she is rescued and everything is over so but in that way I think that there are character beats that are more in service to the the story than to the characters on occasion. I see what you're saying. The only time that the movie does a plot beat that I kind of said, okay, maybe too far, it's not that I think it's impossible, it's just the rapidity with which it happens, is when he fills the elevator and the water. elevator shaft with water. Because she has managed to get herself into the elevator so she can keep in there away from him if necessary for 48 hours until they have to reopen the place. He sort of stalemates him in that respect, and he runs a fire hose down and starts flooding the elevator shaft. I'm not even saying that you couldn't flood an elevator shaft with a fire hose, but I am saying it would take days, <laughs> you know? Well, and that's, that's one that uh, I forgave it. Yeah. You know, it didn't... It didn't um... You kind of had to. And it was, again, more in the service of keeping that intensity high and getting us to the next scene. The very uh, calm way that he puts the fire hose down, down there. Yeah. Um, and then just, okay, well, I guess we're doing this now. Yeah. This is what she has led me to. Yeah. See what you made me do? Yeah. And uh, I do like that really infuriating part to his character. And that in a lot of ways, it's sort of her fault for being so cool and beautiful. Oh, and the, She did this to him, right? Those... those uh, yeah, that he does these horrible things. Well, when he kills people, he's like, and then it's like, thanks for ruining Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> like, you just killed this person. Yeah. When, uh, and I did like how at the beginning, there's a bit of that setup of the guy coming in and apologizing for, Again, yeah. for something that happened, and we don't know what happened necessarily. You we get find the feeling there was a Christmas party, and this dude did something inappropriate. <laughs> well, see, I didn't, I didn't know if it was that, or if he'd maybe even had a flame with her. Right. Uh, and and then but then it does come up and in terms of storytelling uh, a point was brought up and then the whack-a-mole sort of theorem that it was addressed later on there was a reason for it beyond let's establish it's a Christmas party or this guy's a jerk and later on uh, there's there is a payoff for it so there's a reason for it being there and I liked that it's exposition with sneaky exposition that you don't recognize it as that right yeah it's not it's it's not Foreshadowing, a, yeah. a big neon sign. Oh, she's friendly to her co-workers. We're getting to know her. No, that actually was an important story beat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like I said, I did like the way he would he would uh, brutally attack somebody and then say, thanks for ruining Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> How it was their fault. For a quote-unquote slasher movie, which this has been called, uh, the body count is shockingly low, and it's largely a showdown between two people. Like you say, there is the one sort of uh, gentleman who is sort of sacrificed as a Christmas present to her. Uh, And that scene with him being smashed against the wall by the vehicle uh, was really horrendous. Mm, And then there's the other very violent scene with the dog. And, of course, the scene where somebody takes a 
shard of glass to the eye. Uh, but because they're so few and far between, when these moments of violence come, they really count. They really hit. Uh, the movie, in a lot of ways, feels like a more visceral, violent experience than it really is. I think I've listed off, basically, the violence in the movie. I think you've hit them all, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's largely suspense and largely this collision between these two characters who are, one, you know, they're both really smart and they're both, you know, driven to their goals. I, there's nothing that I can think of that the Rachel Nichol characters does that is loudly stupid at any point. That I was like, no, that's bullshit. I wondered, I I wondered about, because during the, the shooting, and this, this is sort of the question, and it's not like, it, again, like it yeah. wasn't one of those things that jarred me out of the uh, watching of it. But we keep seeing, uh, well, and she does take an axe at one point, right? Yeah. There are no fire alarms? She couldn't pull a fire alarm somewhere? Yeah. And, well, that, and, that, one, and that, one, that one for me was the biggest sort of talking point in terms of possibly this is an inconsistency. Yeah. Uh, but maybe you wouldn't think of it. Similarly, well, when she's in the car and he's taking that flashlight to the guy, why, obviously because it would make the film a lot shorter, <laughs> but she wouldn't just get over into the driver's seat and take that car and drive out. Right. Um, but maybe you wouldn't think of it in the moment you'd be looking at this horrible thing happening in front of you. So again, it's, was, not, it's not even that I forgave it. Yeah. I didn't even think it was something that needed forgiving. But it was a thing that came up and like, well, you could you could do this. Of course, I'm sitting safely in my house, not the character who's been traumatized and drugged and is the, watching someone be brutally murdered in front of them. The story is well told, too, in that I, I'm psychologically with her. Mm-hmm. So to what to my mind, what she's doing is the best that she has with the immediate items available to her at that point. And she's maybe not as forward thinking as we would like her to be. She's sort of reacting to the moment, but maybe that's a little bit more authentic too. Um, but it's not like you were talking about in Black Christmas where she like runs to a dead end. Yeah, you know, or or just curls up and cries and and, and screams for rescue. Uh, there's that great sort of moment where she gets on the elevator initially and starts talking through the uh, security the line, yeah. and, and it takes a few beats to realize that oh, she's talking to Captain Asshole. <laughs> but uh, for those first few lines, when she realizes or she thinks that that she's finally found rescue, you know, you're just so with her. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways maybe the cast is making this better than it maybe has business being. I think they might have elevated the material, but everybody here showed up to work. The director, the DOP, the screenwriter, and the cast. Everybody was on their game. And uh, I think this is uh, weaker as far as the Christmas theme of these movies. But as far as it's a not thriller, as Christmassy as say something that deals directly with an alternative Santa Claus. Story. Indeed, right. But as far as just like a suspense thriller slasher movie, if you want to call it that, it sort of rides that edge. Oh, uh, the minimal body count. It's a solid entry. It certainly doesn't reinvent the wheel. Well, and there's something about the guy being a, a night night watchman, you yeah. know, that that suggests, yeah, people who do the graveyard shifts all the time might go a little squirrely and. I'm just kind of wondering, like, in your job, maybe there is this a cry for help? Yeah. Is that why you included this one? Since I do work security and I do work a lot of nights. <laughs> can I, can they... I just sit a little closer to the door? Yeah, exactly. Would that bother you? And I liked, I liked that um, when she finally has that turn and becomes murderous herself and she says, I think, uh, 
why don't you let me help you for a change? Yeah, exactly. And it's like, okay, yeah, things of the the balance of power shifted yeah. subtly. And she's and, and I hope and I hope at the the uh, the end of it when she actually does uh, exact her revenge. I hope there wasn't a security camera on her right when that happened because she, she didn't have to. Yeah. Finish him uh, off. No the way court she'd... in the world would convict her after what she'd been through. I, I don't, don't think, know. But, uh... I don't know. <laughs> Having been through the court system, Larry, yeah, you know, know that's... <laughs> fair enough. You, everything's on the table. Exactly. Exactly. You just don't want to go in front of a judge uh, ever. Particularly but for having taken a life. When she does get the opportunity to strike back again, it's not that bullshit movie thing where she, you know, breaks a chair over his head and then assumes he's dead and, and, and you know, stays in the room without checking him, you know. Yeah. No, she stabs him in the fucking eye. That is a significant injury. You can start running. He's not going to bounce back from that right away, right? Like, well, unless he's crazy, right? Like, he's yeah. batshit crazy. But, like... Which I think was established earlier on. She wasn't a, as far as horror movie girls go, right? She wasn't a chick about it. She yeah, didn't, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. She didn't, like, just push him over and assume that that was that and all was well, you know? She had a backup plan, and when she had a chance to hurt him, she went for the fucking jugular. She tried to do as much damage to him as she could, as she should have. He has earned all of this, you, yes. know, you know? We do not want a happy ending for this dude. And I liked, uh, I liked that little bit where she's driving out, and he, in that little car, and then he hits her from the, like, you think, like, that was, that was, for me, that was a really good moment, where she's about to drive through the gate, and, and he T-bones her. <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, just so close, to be so close from freedom, yeah. and have it taken away from you yet again. In like such that. a violent I thought that way. was a pretty good, a pretty good moment. And rolling the rental car in the, uh, in the parkade, I thought. Yeah. I thought logistically that would be a pretty cool gag to pull off. <laughs> yeah. Don't hit kids here, Jonah. Oh, no, it's his latest trick. Anyone would think he likes the attention. <laughs> okay, so as I just said before, we have recorded. Now it's time to talk about the real horror movie of this group of six. This is a British film called The Children. And it's about a couple of families who get together to celebrate the Christmas holidays. And they bring the kids along. And the kids start... Which is already, you know, horrifying. Yeah. Don't work with kids or animals. That's what they say. Yeah. Uh, and the kids start uh, acting out a little bit. They get a cold. Initially, it's sort of like a flu kind of feverish sort of quality that There's they... There's some have. nausea involved. Yeah. And they're acting a little wiggy like kids sometimes can. Huh. Uh <laughs> Speaking as a father of two, kids can be weird and creepy sometimes. <laughs> uh, and especially when they're sick or they're really tired, just weird shit comes out of their mouths. Uh, my son Tristan once just randomly volunteered, when I blink I can see the darkness. Mm. Yes, just drink that shit in. That's from a five-year-old. Right? So, uh, uh, you know, kids can be creepy, but uh, it, starts to, it starts to escalate. And uh, in this case, it goes from acting out weirdly towards each other to acting out homicidally towards their parents and their parents' friends. And 
Well, they're related, right? The two women, I think, are sisters. They're sisters, and the families have come together to celebrate the holidays with their respective loved ones and children. Um, anytime, the, anytime you get that many kids together, though, something like that could happen. I mean, the potential is there. Yeah. That's, for me, it was the realism of that. Well... I like how this exploits the creepy aspect of kids, and there will be future podcasts where we talk about creepy kid horror movies, because there's lots of them. Well, this, uh, this was a little bit Children of the Corn. Definitely. And a little bit of Pet Cemetery and some good kid-slaying lighthearted fun. <laughs> but the true horror of this, beyond the creepy little kids, because they push it so far in this particular film, is that as a father, as a, as a parent... Uh, I would be willing to kill, or I guess if necessary, die, to protect my kids. But would I be able to kill my kids? That's that was that to was, save myself. That's the horrible part of it, right? Like the uh, that's having to use lethal force against your own kids to to survive is. And that's basically the question of the movie. And as the movie, as the world of the movie sort of slowly expands, we start to wonder how wide ranging this is. Like, yes. as first we start thinking this is just isolated to them in this little uh, you know winter landscape farmhouse that they're staying at. I think by the end that the implication is is that this is this is happening it's, all over the place. It's going a little further, yeah. It's a horrifying fucking movie. Uh, that's where I start that, with it. For that, and that for that for that very premise, and not so much that it was uh, like that. That was the inherent creepiness of it: is kids turning on their parents, and not not just by halves, right? No. Completely turning on them, and the parents having to make that horrible choice. Between being killed or yeah. killing their children, and there were enough children that they were small, right? But there were enough of them that you would be overwhelmed unless you, you know, were strategic or tactical about how you're going to and corral them. Not, like you, could, you could restrain one kid. Yeah, it's not the physical threat; it's the <clears throat> psychological. Exactly. Threat. Even if you are able to fend off your kid who's trying to kill you. Uh, what's left of your brain once you've killed your own kid. Right. And your own kid isn't the only one that's out to get you. It's almost like a, a zombie epidemic that's only infecting the children. They're not, of course, undead or supernatural in any way that we understand. They still abide by... So there was, if they fall from a great height or if they get stabbed or perforated, right. they will die. <laughs> yes. But as, again... And as it stands, like it was horrible when that little Polly kid got it. Yeah. But frankly, I was like, okay... There's one for the good guys, yeah. but there's still that over overarching concept of they're having to kill their own kids. kids. And uh, how far it takes the adults to realize what's going on. I mean, we see more than they do, but when they hear well, them... Well, we also know the title. Yeah, it's right? true. <laughs> but, but still, like, it, it's, it would be hard to take in that information, but... A grown-up just told you that they had to kill this kid because they were attacking them and feared for their lives. And you're like, no, you just murdered that kid because you cannot compute that information. Yeah. It's almost like a bird situation, you know, where one day all of a sudden the birds start attacking for no reason. It was just, that was the day it was going to happen. <laughs> um, but it's a, it like... It's horrifying. It's horrifying. I'm sorry, I've taken over, but... Please. No, 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 that's fine. It, and it absolutely is. And that is the whole pretense that makes it terrible, is pitting kids against parents in a lethal confrontation. Uh, there was... there was, And like you're saying, they didn't have supernatural uh, physical abilities as such, but there did seem to be a communication with them, a, yeah. a, um, 
an ethereal sort of organization, like the way they got the first parent with he's coming down the hill, they've got something in a wagon, a sharp jagged edge. The there character was there was a lot of choreography required to make that happen. Chloe and it was, was and it led was, out into it was the unspoken. woods. That one woman was led out. I think Chloe was her name. She was led out into the woods. She was going to find the kids because she thought they were traumatized after seeing exactly. this injury. And they led her far away from everybody else. And they got her to a place where they had her surrounded. And they, you know, like a pack, sort of stealthily yeah. killed her, right? Yeah. Um, and, it's, and it's one of those, again, as the observer... You're kind of, and at the same time, maybe this was the director's thesis. You know, your kids are monsters. Why are you the only one who can't see it? You know, <laughs> which, which, and I, I kind of say that sort of tongue in cheek, but really, that's it. They are transformed into these monsters, and, and the parents refuse it. to believe it. That would be the hardest thing to come to terms with or to accept. Yeah, and and that by having chosen that particular context, I think it makes it that much more believable, if you will, that they wouldn't accept it, mm. that they would take so long to get to it, that the, and the only one who really, well, the first one to get it, I think, is the teenager. The guy with their sledding with is the first person who gets killed. No, no, but I mean, get it in terms of, oh, there's something wrong with the what's kids. going on, yeah. And then, but no one believes her, yeah. because, and then there's some sort of inference that she's from a different relationship yeah so then it's easier for the parents to say to think she's acting out she's acting out or she's jealous of our kids that we have because she's from another relationship previous marriage or whatever what, what have you and so in in that respect having chosen that as the scenario uh they've they've given themselves all sorts of room to do horrible things with people still being incredulous and unwilling to accept the very obvious reality of what's going on within the movie and again in another horror movie we would be pulling our hair out saying why aren't you listening to these people yes why are you you going upstairs (laughs) yeah rather than out the house (laughs) yeah indeed uh i do also want to speak about the violence in the movie you would think that they would soft pedal the violence with the kids and it might be a little bit soft pedaled in that it's a little less than what we see in the adults but it's pretty fucking brutal. <laughs> and it's up there. The, uh, the, the, the first guy they get with the sled who gets his skull basically peeled open and slowly bleeds to death of the snow hill. Uh, horrifying injury. The woman climbing the monkey bars and falling backwards and snapping her leg brutally yeah. uh, just like makes me just totally tense up in my chair when I'm watching it. And, and uh, it's brutal. It's brutal stuff. Um, what I'm trying to say is they don't spare anything. They don't pull any punches. No. And uh, some people do not like that in their horror movies. And the well, thing then is, it's not a horror movie, though, right? It's, I mean, well, you could do, you could do it. The but... premise of this, I do think, is strong enough they probably could have got by without the implicit violence. But it didn't bother me. And uh, since everything else was, you know... On the table, why not go there? It, it added. It certainly added to the the very visceral response I had to it. Like yeah. you were saying, like, when you see that snap and the, and the bone comes out, and it was a tight shot, right? Yeah, so it's, it's probably awful. some some second unit kind of shot. But um, the thing about that particular one that bugged me is she was tall enough; she didn't have to climb those damn monkey bones. Yeah, <laughs> she could have just scooped up the kid. Yeah, could have gone pulled him down from underneath. But yeah. I mean, it, it needed to be there because yeah. it needed to be there. Um, that, but that was one of the ones. The other thing that kind of came up, going back to the whole whack-a-mole theory, right. what are the bugs in the pillows? 
The bugs and the pillows. The kids, apparently, there was one part where the little girls, I think one of the little girls is laying with her head on the pillow, and then it kind of goes into the pillow, and you see this sort of okay. viri or something like that. I, I don't think that added anything. No. Uh, if, if anything, it took away a little bit to me, to me, like adding the midi chlorians. Yeah. Into the Star Wars, like you could just try to explain it. You could just leave it as this thing we don't understand. Yeah. As opposed to there's a physiological necessity for it being there. That somehow there may be being um, uh, jumping several evolutionary steps, and part of that evolution is they have to wipe out the current adults for the yeah. next species. I can't it, see that's a that's a potential sort of excuse for it, but it doesn't need to be there. And I came up with that on my own. It had nothing to do with anything other than. I'm wondering what those viri were innate of. Depending on the movie you're making, sometimes you, if you open with these questions, you have to answer them, but you don't always. Uh, this is something that I, I, I call sort of like a like the Tremors complex. You know, aware of the film Tremors? Large <laughs> yes. underground snake tentacle monsters sucking people under the earth in the yeah, Nevada yeah. desert, okay? They have a scene where they try to figure out between them what's going on, but the movie never tells you why one day all of a sudden there's these giant worms underground. Because frankly, what explanation would we accept? It doesn't matter though. Because well, in the movie, it's just about how are they going to get out of this situation and let's have fun. So they didn't slow things down by giving you the origins of a meteorite landing or some fossils being dug right. up. They didn't, they didn't bother with that scene. I'm, I'm totally fun. with you on that, and I'm not saying that I need everything to be Explain. answered and tied up in a tidy little bow. Yeah. The question that needs to be answered is, why is that even there? Right. That little, whatever it was, wasn't even a minute long sort of thing where the right. girl's laying on the pillow, she's breathing, and so there's an infection. What's that in aid of? Can it be cured? Is that is it? Because that's not the point of conflict, right? The it point does of conflict seem to start viral to me because there's steps in it. They start first; they're sick and they're you know needy, sick little kids, and then they start acting out. But when it's fully expressed, when whatever this is takes them over, like they steal the body from the snow hill and yeah. they find that the body like in it with the kids' playhouse disemboweled like they were having a good old time playing yeah. with the kid like they are way past you know they're not who they were anymore something has changed fundamentally with them <laughs> but it that all all of the rest of that could have happened without that particular scene Shot, of it being yeah. viral uh to, to me that just I, I i just didn't think it needed to be there I, and that was the question of that was for me the question that needed to be answered is why is this here mm -hmm. all the other stuff about this um the, the the progression from one stage to another, fine. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we needed to know as the audience that it was whether it was virus based or it's some sort of bug or it's some other sort of um, uh, initiating sort of action. I, I, I don't care. And the thing is, it was brought up, and it didn't seem to have any purpose whatsoever. We could still see the progression, like the vomiting, right. the yada yada, which which came out at the end with the. The girl finding the dad in the snowdrift, yeah. covered up, and then she throws up, and it's uh -oh. presumably because something she just looked at something gross. Horrible. But then it, I think it's implied she's as they're driving away, down with it she's well. also got it too. Yeah, yeah. So that that sort of a stuff was effective. Just like I said, it was just that one shot. Yeah. I didn't think... I, I don't disagree with you, but I don't think it sinks the ship at all. Not at all. Uh, and, Not at all. Uh, and, yeah. I, 
it, it works enough, for sure. And it sort of has echoes of a movie we reviewed last time you were on the show, The Last Winter, and that the end of the movie sort of feels like it could be the beginning of some epic other movie. Right. But the filmmakers aren't interested in that epic other movie. They're interested in this one, right? Yes. Uh, uh, so I kind of... Uh, interesting echo to The Last Winter there. The, um, the Much more of a horror, capital H horror movie, but yeah. And we've kind of worked from the back to the front on this one. I want to say that the opening shots, beautiful. Yeah. Like the, the concept of isolation and cold and the brittleness of it. The, what do I have? Like you could, you could feel the cold in the opening shots. The, the ice on the branches, the crystals, the way the trees creak. Yeah. All that sort of stuff. I, and, and the wind and sort of that, that loneliness again in isolation. I guess I've got two sort of wintry ones in a row. Yeah. Uh, but that, that really established it. And, the, and they're really lovely shots, like right close up. Um, the, the depth of field was such that there's this blurry of cold behind it. So you're focused in on this one little cold detail, and then there's a mass of cold behind it. Yeah. It, it, I, I, I'm not describing it very yeah. well, but it was, there was sort of a really good, beautiful series of opening shots, and I, I really liked them. Yeah. And just again, to go to the Christmas sort of theme one more time, um, the sort of cold prairie winter does have that weird creepiness to it. Everything is encased in, in ice. The trees are extensively dead and look it and are, are burdened by the weight of the ice that they're holding on to. And yet this is where a family would go to celebrate Christmas and think this is an ideal location. But it's also an ideal location for a horror movie because yeah. it provides isolation and with the snow and the weather, you know, further there, And there was that heart-wrenching scene where the, the little kids are coming up the stairs after the woman has broken her leg mm. and the teenagers on the other side trying to beat her way through. Through the door. And the, the I mean, presumably the mother of the kids coming up the stairs, she just gives up. She says, I can't. Yeah, I'm not, I can't. Even, even when she's faced and she has to face everything that's there she still can't that that parental instinct and that bonding that she's had with them and in a way not surprisingly supersedes her own self-preservation it's just twisted in such a way that it's horrid as opposed to grandiose and beautiful what is more powerful than a mother's love right yeah and the other thing is is that if you do find the strength or even just the reflex survival instinct in yourself to kill your own child... You're going to carry that with you anyway. You have given yourself a wound you may not survive Likely not. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Another happy Christmas movie review. Yeah. <laughs> als politie. Wij zijn er om de burgers te beschermen. Verbod op alle Sinterklaasactiviteiten. Iedereen denkt dat hij jarig is, maar hij is gestorven op 5 december. Hij is gruwelijk vermoord en nu komt hij terug om wraak te nemen. Pakjes aan, is leuk. Maar je krijgt altijd zoveel rommel die je niet nodig hebt. We gaan er allemaal aan! Sinterklaas kapoentje. So, Sint is a Christmas 
themed Amsterdam set a holiday slasher picture with a sense of humor? Yeah, yeah. A <laughs> I think it were at least a sense of goofiness. The uh, fog meets bad Santa? Yeah, indeed. <laughs> I mean, I think that everybody involved openly recognizes sort of the ridiculousness of the subject, so they can do things like kill off a whole bunch of little kids and still expect us to enjoy our popcorn and uh, walk away with a smile on our face. Um, I think the most impressive thing to me about Scent is kind of just the production values of of the film. Um, It had a budget. We see a sort of demonic zombie Santa Claus on horseback riding on the rooftops of Amsterdam and jumping from place to place. A former bishop. No yeah, <laughs> in, a, in a way that looks reasonably photoreal as far as, you know, mm-hmm. our special effects can accomplish in in, in day. Uh, I mean, we know what we're seeing is ridiculous and not real, but they go as far as they can to make it, you know... <laughs> the production value is very strong. It's there. Especially considering how wacky and sort of of the, you know, Evil Dead 2 Army of Darkness world sort of feel that this movie kind of has. I thought it was a little less campy than the example you have, but <laughs> right. but close. As far as this over-the-top levels of violence uh, in the way that it's as much fun as it is scary it, to me. At least that's how what I felt from it. I I wasn't very often scared. There's a few okay jump scares, I guess, but I wasn't like chewing my nails or thinking, "Oh, is our noble protagonist going to make it through to the end?" Like I, I wasn't. This movie wasn't riding my emotions. I wasn't deeply invested. In fact, I did laugh out loud when Frank started running over <laughs> with the car when he started running over the monsters. <laughs> it entertained. Yep. It entertained. It's dumb as a bag of hammers and you can be dumb as a bag of hammers just know it yeah and own it don't don't pretend not to be yeah and so that's where i am with this movie uh you know it might be filed under guilty pleasure i mean it's it like (laughs) i didn't even feel guilty yeah (laughs) Uh, because i wasn't that's the thing about it when they're when they're honest about what they are and they own it then uh, there's no pretense to feel guilty about. So, yeah. yeah, I watched something dumb and I laughed and, yeah. or enjoyed or what have you. Have fun. Yeah. Have fun. And, uh, you know, if you want to go at this with a critical eye and pull apart plot points and does this make sense and geographically how do they get from point A to point B from one scene to the next so quickly, there's a few teleportation moments in this film. <laughs> there's a few, <laughs> uh, you know, plot holes that are just sort of random additions. So much so that by the end of the movie, they explain peripherally that hundreds of other people have been killed by this Santa Claus creature. We just haven't had time to see all of the other mayhem. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's an odd, uh, unique little piece of cinema. Uh, that's where I start with it. But uh, it's another, I, it's another alternate Santa mythology. Indeed, yeah. Uh, what was the date? I want to say the 5th of December, if it was a full moon. on 1492, the... December 5th. Yeah. If and it's... it's a full moon. Like, yeah. Well, so that's kind of leading more into a werewolf sort of mythology. I didn't understand the necessity for it, but I didn't get hung up on right. it. Well, this crooked religious figure uh, mistreating the people uh, met a brutal end on that date. And uh, subsequent to that, any time there is a full moon on the 5th of December, the city of Amsterdam can expect a visit from this evil dude and his assistants. 
And uh, there's weird inconsistencies even with them because sometimes they seem weirdly unkillable and then other times they seem to be, you know... Entirely killable. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever is most convenient for this moment of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and again, because it was sort of the campy, I kind of didn't get so hung up on the, the, the splatter effects in the first... that created the, um, the uh, detective... Right. When his family was killed in the sort of the backstory, if you yeah. will, um, the second backstory yeah. that made him want to become a police detective and protect people and and deal with uh, Sinterklaas or whatever yeah. he was called, um, that the the splatter effects were kind of cheesy but Fun. permissible. Yeah, permissibly so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the blood effects were obviously prosthetic and, and done lovingly, but maybe not necessarily 100% convincingly. Right. But some of the CGI stuff, like I said, with the horseback riders on the rooftop, so they looked pretty good to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was impressed by that. I'm, 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 I wasn't so convinced that, you know, wow, did they really get a horse up there? No, this has obviously been rendered digitally, but good on them. I don't know where, like, from a filmmaking standpoint... I honestly would not know where to begin to do some of the sequences they did Ooh. there. From a visual perspective, I would like to see more from these filmmakers, you know? Yeah. I would like to see them painting on a bigger canvas. It seems like this guy has a Marvel superhero movie in him if he wanted to, you know? Because the action is handled very clearly. You understand what's going on at the same time as it being very visually sort of spectacular and, and, and dynamic. So, bravo on the production. I would go and, along with that. Um... <laughs> uh, we had we had another opening of the the kids, but with a slightly different twist. There are these things being opened up in a classroom, mm -hmm. um, and what does the professor say or the instructor, the teacher? It's like, oh, we've got that's the sixth dildo that's broken last year's record. Yes, <laughs> and and these things are being handed out, uh, and then the one guy his gets as a present from his girlfriend, who's now his ex girlfriend. Yeah, because she made. He opened it in front of the class, and it says, we're breaking we're up, breaking basically, up. a poem, I think it was. Yeah. And we're breaking up, and here's all your shit back. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Uh, it definitely does have the slasher movie archetype cast of characters, complete with a lot of them that are unlikable, so that we can, you know, not be emotionally crushed by their deaths, or yes. even sort of secretly cheer for their deaths. Um, but it also suffers from that slasher movie quality where a lot of these people are so pretty that they don't seem real. Like, sure, in any given group of friends, there's probably one or two super hot people. But again, when you. when you get... Exactly. <laughs> compliment accepted. But when you get six or eight of them together all at once, it starts to feel like people are playing dress up to me, you know? <laughs> well, they do tend to flock together, the pretty people. Yeah. They, they do. And of course, it's Holland where they've got lots of pretty people. I mean, according to... So the videos I've watched. Yeah. <laughs> the, again, uh, going to some of the shots, the exteriors were lovely. You know, the, I, I want to visit Amsterdam now because it's, <laughs> it's really a good looking city. As are, you know, lots of the old parts of European cities. They've got the older architecture. They've got um, big buildings and lots of stone and things like that that we don't really have here where we are. Yeah. And so it's... it's um, a bit of a novelty, but it, it again, some of the opening shots in Amsterdam were really lovely, the exteriors. Yeah. Quite enjoyed them. I think that that's more what this movie is about, sort of the visual presentation and the sort of wow sort of spectacle angle. And let's have fun at this sort of stupid, goofy story. Yeah, uh, it's, it's one of those where uh, the, the, um, 
the requirements or the rules of the world that they've created are kind of a bit suspect. Yeah. But they needed to do something so they could get on with the action, more yeah. or less. Like, like, like we said, the November 5th, the 1492, the full moon requirement, which happens every 42 years, apparently. I get the gaggle of pretty people. I get the clumsy exposition. Oh, don't you know it's December 5th? Uh, I, I get, you know, <laughs> like that the, these are things that you're going to bump into with, with the genre. Uh, I think that the things that, that muddy the water a little bit uh, is that we slowly find out through the course of the movie that the city of Amsterdam, from like a civic level, know this to be true. And cover it up. And actively cover it up. Yeah. And that's sort of the more you think about that, the less that starts to make any kind of sense. And well, and if something can be done, as this detective has gleaned and determined, then why then is why aren't they doing something about it in a concerted effort? Why is this detective considered a crazy pariah if everybody knows what his obsession is? Is and, actually and that he's right? Exactly. I mean, it, early in the movie, it made more sense for his character-wise for everyone to to hate and misuse him. Because he was crazy. Later in the movie, it was more convenient for them to have a basic understanding of the history and on some level, no. Yeah. Uh, and moment for moment, there isn't that consistency. Right. Um, I don't know if this is a point for or against it, but Sint or Saint manages to be a crazier movie than, than Gremlins <laughs> out of this group of six movies. If I was to hand out an award for craziest picture <laughs> and with rare exports and fucking Gremlins on the list, you know, this is pretty steep competition, but this is some pretty crazy shit. <laughs> this is like, this is a, a off the wall. <laughs> well, rare exports was a little more, um, Original, I guess, but it was it was um, in its execution almost almost quaint. Yeah, well, like I said, not, that, not the Spielberg accent, not to not it. batshit crazy like Saint was. Yeah, Saint really... is more Sam Raimi, and 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 Rare Exports <laughs> is a lot more Spielberg. You know, there was a, and there was the one scene where uh, Frank meets um, Sinterklaas in the street. Yeah, and and he's trying to do him in, or. Uh, Saint is trying to do in Frank, Frank, and then suddenly there's a guy with a flamethrower. Nobody, nobody saw him Cute come, dude come in flamethrower. and set up the tank and clumsily light the thing. Possibly, just suddenly there's a flamethrower and a tank and a guy, and it's the detective. But fuck, that looked cool, and it was kind of it an awesome cool. moment. And <laughs> that's what the movie is, beat for beat, right? That's why I think like the uh, Army of Darkness comparison is kind of apt in, in to some degrees. It's obviously not as like uh, overtly cartoonish as Army of Darkness, like uh, scene to scene. But that whole feeling that everything is on the table in this movie. Oh, <laughs> you know? And at the end, when they're in the old harbor, the old abandoned harbor. Yes. Um, I didn't... I didn't get that there were those barrels of explosives or fuel. Again, utter just, convenience for plot. Just sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, and, and I get that. Yeah. But, you know, when you decommission a site, you're not going to leave... Uh, flammables just 
sitting around. Mm-hmm. This is not a story movie, so for me, that means you're going to have to be really well made for me to, you know, get any repeat business it's out of it. It's not a story movie. That's very apt. It's, it's just It's a visual not. movie. <laughs> it's like, look at us. We're making this batshit crazy movie, and we're going to make it as visually impressive as we can. And to that measure, they, they, they succeed. They I'm a story be. guy. I've said it again and again and again. And to try and come at this movie with that lens... No, I mean, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't hold up scene to scene. There's no consistency. But this movie is entertaining. It's dumb, and it's entertaining. It's, and it starts with we're dumb. Yeah, and it, it's, and it knows it. And that's the thing that gives it the real pass for me. If it was doing all of this and, you know, didn't realize how dumb it was somehow, or was, like, playing it too seriously, or, you know not letting me in on the joke, so to speak, right. uh, I could have really soured to the experience quickly. It's also, again, wisely very quick. It's like a barely 90-minute venture. It gets in, it gets out, you know. Yeah. Before before you have a chance to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, again, like I said, there were, there were those little things along the way, and I think we're saying the same thing as far as that goes, but, okay, it's not trying to be some sort of uh, psycho thriller yeah. with this huge, um, incredibly meticulously defined world. It's like, uh, we're going to give you kind of an excuse for what happens next. And I think if you think about it too much, then... The fair correlation to last time you did the podcast, when we did the cold episode, would be like dead snow. This is sort of in a similar world of dead snow. It's, it's just... More about the craziness of the gags and the fun silliness of the execution than it is about anything else. Billy Pelser has a nice home. Billy, is that you? Yeah, Mom, it's me. A nice job. A nice girl. If you're not doing anything this Thursday night, maybe you'd like to uh, go out on a date with me? I'd love to. And loving parents. Who are about to give him... You're going to like this. No, 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 don't shake it. We're going to have to open it now. We'll wait till Christmas. The most unusual gift he ever got. What is it? No. It's your new pet. Come on, Barney, be a good dog. My dad gave it to me. But there are a few things to keep in mind. If you expose it to the light, you may hurt it. If you get it wet, it will multiply. All that from water? They got wet? Yeah, plain water. And most important, no matter how much they beg, never, never let them eat after midnight. Because when they do, they change. Merry Christmas, Larry. Merry Christmas, Tanner. Okay. So it was that we came to Gremlins. Steven Spielberg production. um, Huge temple blockbuster from the mid-80s. Um... The story is a uh, charming inventor uh, buys a exotic creature as a pet for his son, a, a, a creature called a mogwai. And this is this is why the moral really is: you should not buy pets. Black as market gifts. pets, not a well, good gift. Just as a gift for your kid. Yeah, and I mean, he wants to get his kid something special. He obviously loves his kid. We can appreciate it. He's a likable character, but. Uh, I love Hoyt Axton, his deep, rich voice. Yeah. Everything, but like the way he carried that character off so well. Uh, yeah, and he is sort of a goofy inventor where all his inventions are 
impractical and ineffective, but charming somehow. That sort of unnecessary genius, like um, Mr. Bean. Yeah, you don't need that thing. I'd like to think that in some, in the, you know, in the future of Gremlin storyline, this father ends up, you know, working for the shopping network, just hawking shit on TV and making millions of dollars. That's probably yeah. <laughs> that's 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 the future I see for him. Anyway, he buys this mugwai and. Red flag right away when when you're buying a pet for your son. If the rules invite, you know, no sunlight, no water, and don't feed it after midnight, and it's a, a huge responsibility. With great mugwai comes great yeah, responsibility. Yeah, exactly. He just, he just sold him Spider-Man, but uh, <laughs> not the ideal pet, but a great, you know, goofy fantasy premise for this movie. And, and that was the one that bugged me at the time, that third one. Don't feed him after midnight. Mm-hmm. There should be a window. Because it's always before and after midnight, unless it's midnight. My friend J. Adrian Cook and I did an episode called Terrible Twos, in which we reviewed Gremlins 2, A New Batch. One of the few real highlight things about Gremlins 2, A New Batch is calling bullshit on the rules established in Gremlins 1. One of them being, you know, what time zone does this affect as far as after midnight? Or if they have a bit of food stuck in their teeth and it falls out and they swallow it after midnight, does that technically count as food after, you know? Uh, but this is a movie that does not ask you to ask questions of yeah. it. You know, you're just supposed to roll with the punches with this. Uh, and if you ask hard questions of gremlins, you are, you're going to... You're going to miss the show. You're going to miss the show, yeah. Uh... Yeah, this mugwai, if the rules are broken, can produce evil gremlins, which of course quickly happens. And this quaint 80s by way is 50s town, as I described it to you briefly. And exactly, perfectly so. (laughs) Uh, um, This town gets overrun by these great puppet creatures done with a mix of 80s special effects involving puppets, animatronics, and a few shots, uh, stop motion animation. Um, this, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a few shots where they did some of that. Oh, cool. uh, it's very 80s. It's very, you know, summer fun, goofy movie. And much like we just talked about with Saint, uh, you kind of have to let some of the script silliness go by so that you can just have fun with this movie. Again, this is much more of a fun movie than a smart one. Um, I have a personal attachment to it. I can only say nice things about Gremlins because of what a big role it played to my child likewise so and and for that very reason i i'm gonna go a bit further with that i was kind of reluctant to watch it right because there are things that you watch when you're a kid a kid or of a certain age or in a certain place in your life yeah and then you review it and and it completely Kills destroys it, it. Yeah. Not the case, and so thankfully. Yeah, Gremlins is still fun. I had a bad experience revisiting a, a childhood treasure of mine called The Neverending Story, mm. which I really loved as a kid, and it just happened to be on TV, and I started watching it, and I had to stop because I was like, this is not the movie I remember at all. What exactly. has happened? What has happened? Well, first of all, it ended. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> so the title yeah. is Spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, Gremlins... Let's start at the beginning. Let's start at the beginning. Okay. Brilliant. Brilliant. That whole Chinatown thing yeah. uh, with the narrative. And it, like I said, Hoyt Axton's rich, textured voice doing that narration and that yeah. sort of film noir style. The colors, the way that set looked, just beautiful. Just And the, the lighting, obviously the production values, probably out of all the movies we're reviewing, probably the highest budget yeah. out of all of them. And, and it shows and it reads... And then from there to the very next scene, Kingston Falls, 
gorgeous, this idyllic winter wonderland. The yeah. whole hoarfrost on the trees. It's nestled in these low-lying mountains with trees and the, the carpet of the snow going over top of it. And kids running around and throwing snowballs at each other. That's sort of a too classic, some might say cliched, sort mm -hmm. of setups. I liked them. So uh, no complaints for me, and and I thought they were really cool, and they they kind of contrasted each other. Mm -hmm. That that in a way it sort of foreshadowed it, and I don't know necessarily that it was intentional, but there's this dark film noir thing being brought into this idyllic little community, right. I, and that's kind of how I read it in you know this way that I tend to overanalyze things to begin <laughs> with, but it's it's sort of that's kind of what I saw, and but again. Two very lovely establishing scenes, and I, I really, really enjoyed them. Yeah. Um, I, I agree to a point. I think that some of the winter landscapes, because I am a Canadian person and I've suffered a lot of winters, a lot of it didn't read genuine to me. It had that sort of feathery, over-fluffy snow. <clears throat> yep. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Feeling yep. to it. And when they're outside, the actors never really seem like they're cold. I don't notice their breath, you know, like... Uh, but that might be something that uh, I noticed because I've been hardened by too many prairie winters. See, now you're the one asking hard questions. <laughs> that's exactly what I scolded people for doing of this. Um, our main character, Billy, played by Zach Galligan, and his girlfriend, played by Phoebe Cates. Hubba hubba. H hubba hubba. Um, well, the, the relationship is just beginning uh, when we, we, we meet him. And, uh, you know, the romantic aspect of their relationship. Yeah. Billy is sort of simple and dumb and charming and effective. I, I mean, I, he's a reasonable leading man figure, but in a lot of ways, I kind of find Billy to be one of the least interesting characters. You know, the real flash and get and dash about this movie is the effects. It's the, the gizmo yep. mogwai and the, and the, and what beautiful characterizations of those little creatures, yeah. you know, really the, uh, when, uh, oh, and Howie Mandel does the voice of, of Gizmo. Gizmo. Yes, indeed. And uh, but just those little, those little um, sort of background inserts of the mumblings of the Mogwai. Yeah, really add texture to it. Like, hey, it's pretty neat, eh? Yeah. You know, little things like that. Or or when someone says he's cute and he does that kind of. <laughs> like the the animatronics holds up even today. Uh, and the commercial sort of aspect of it, we have this absolutely adorable, big-eyed, glassy, you know, mm. uh, mogwai that you can sell as a, a toy. And then you got these scaly, teethy, monstrous little gremlins. But the gremlins were kind of neat too, right? Yeah. And the the um, the scale, the breadth of their um, their decadence. You know, there was the little flasher gremlin. There yeah. was the ones uh, in that. Well, they went to the theater. They uh, all love Snow White. Yeah, they saw yeah, Snow yeah, White yeah. And they're they just love the shit out of it. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a there's a the, the hold up gremlin the yeah. uh, with the with the ski mask on yeah. and the gun. There's a weird randomness, madness, and I'm not going to say lightheartedness because they do kill people and do nasty things, but they 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 seem to really have a good time. They really enjoy being. They're gremlins. a toxic fundo. Is, <laughs> yeah, is what they are. Uh, there's. <laughs> You know, something infectious about how much they seem to enjoy being gremlins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hadn't quite thought of it that way, but yeah, they, they really do. They yeah. really do. Um, um, and this is, I think, Joe Dante having fun. Who This is a, you know, a director who loves genre movies and loves cartoons and uh, was allowed you know, off the leash a little bit, especially with like a lot of the gremlin gags. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and they work well. There's a couple of great memorable scenes from my childhood, my two favorite scenes in the whole movie. Uh, there was the scene where Billy's mom fends off four grown She goes batshit. Like, she just... She nukes one in the microwave and blenders another one and stabs another. Like she's like totally awesome. And yeah. the setup for that movie, as a, even as a young kid, I'd seen horror movies. Any other horror movie, this is the scene where Billy's mom gets it, and I really loved that Billy's mom didn't get it. She was a it. strong. She female. fucking kicked yeah. ass. Get out of my kitchen! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she didn't run out of the house screaming as soon as she saw them. She no. was like, "No, I'm gonna fucking deal with this." This is my house. And the other scene involving another strong female character is when Phoebe Cates is alone in the bar full of gremlins. And she's, uh, you know, serving them drinks and she stumbles onto the fact that they don't like the bright lights when she goes to light a cigar for one of the gremlins (laughs) and, uh, you know, uses this. Grabs the Polaroid. Yeah. But that whole, those two sequences when I was a kid, like this was pinnacle of cinema. As far as I was concerned, the only thing that touched gremlins was Ghostbusters when I was a kid. These are just like amazing goddamn movies. (laughs) I like the fact that the veterinarian was Doctor Moreau, yeah. and it was just when he's when uh, when he's running to work, just a sneaky like, little reference snuck Hi, in. Hi, Doctor Moreau. Yeah, <laughs> we're having fun. Everybody, enjoy this. I, I think I should bring up because this is significant. This movie and the movie Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom are largely responsible for creating the PG thirteen, and that that ostensibly this movie was a family production. Kind of geared at, you know, take the kids to see Gremlins. Yes. Now, I think the PG-13 was probably a a fair compromise to to land on. But my problems go beyond this. I think that this might be a little bit too dark for kids. I think so too. A couple of reasons. Not just some of the violence with it. Because depending on your kid, they will love that or or, or not. Well, Howard was old when he went to his first zombie movie. (laughs) He was uh, two months old. Yes. When we saw the remake of Dawn of the Dead. True story. Anyway, <laughs> the uh, the PG-13 element of it, uh, what I think kills it is not so much the intensity of it and like the evil gremlin melting and this horrific skeleton at the end, which is kind of scary. Yeah. They first of all implicitly say there is no Santa Claus <laughs> in the movie, which I think might be jarring to little kids. Yeah. And the move, the one scene in this movie, which is ostensibly a fantasy comedy, let's to be real, that makes it almost edge into horror, is a monologue given by Phoebe Cates. And if somehow your kid has the stones that the gremlins and the tractor running through the neighbor's house and the old lady being thrown out of the window of her home, that doesn't scare Mrs. you. Mrs. Deagle. Hearing this monologue delivered by Phoebe Cates, very young, beautiful Phoebe Cates, talking about how Christmas is a bad thing, how people kill themselves on Christmas, and how, moreover, my father, in an attempt to give me Christmas joy, while climbing, dressed up as Santa. he dressed up as Santa, tried to climb down the chimney, slipped, broke his neck, and was not discovered until several days later when they noticed because of the, the smell. smell. Again, when I asked about... That's a, that's a little... I asked with Rare Exports, who is this movie for? Rare Exports maybe didn't know that. Gremlins knew this was a movie for the kids and for the family. And that's not PG-13 territory. No, no. It just isn't. Um, I'm not saying it sinks the ship necessarily. I still, you know, have a lot of fun with Gremlins in its own sort of charming way. But not for kids. Right. 
Uh, and then, at, then at the same time, you've got the uh, the Cruella Deville character in Mrs. Deagle. Yeah. And when she gets it, it's kind of like when the Velociraptor, or when the T Rex comes in, and eats the lawyer, eats the Velociraptors. Oh, eats the. I'm, I'm thinking, yeah. Right. It's kind of like, yeah. Yeah. Win. And they also used gremlins for their quote unquote real or traditional strength in that the idea of gremlins was they were these creatures that would get inside machinery and sabotage it and mess with it nice little bit of uh, the marrying of symbolism to the the creature feature that it turned out to be another one of the characters who meets a a, a, a almost grisly end anyway uh, has sort of got this ugly racism in him where he doesn't like anything that isn't American made and he has this distrust of because he fought in WW2, yeah. and they sent gremlins over. Gremlins over to screw with the planes and screw with the equipment and these damn gremlins. And they, you know, uh, there's thought put into it. Yeah. <laughs> and I like that the gremlins did use the sabotaging stuff. They fucked with things like the the, the chair, like you said, or got into the tractor. The traffic uh, lights. Yeah. Turned all the lights green at once. <laughs> it's, it's all too easy that they'd be little monsters that attack you and eat your face. I like the added element that they get into the they were They were more impish than violent. I remember as they, a... They had their expression of fun yeah. was not necessarily Healthy. constructive yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't that they got anything out of it wasn't specifically that they got something out of killing yeah. they got something out of mayhem yeah and and that was like you said they really enjoyed being gremlins yeah exactly and they were they were little shits across yeah. the board yeah the assholes all over but yeah you know, they owned it they yeah it. They, they lived it <laughs> yeah and the the other thing I I really liked about it was the development of the 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 soundtrack theme. La 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 la. So it was established several times, and then it then before their sort of gremlin-y voices were added to it. And so it, it came up here and there. Yeah. And so that sort of uh, development of that theme throughout the movie. Because it came up several times and became more their voices as it went along. Yeah, I, I thought that was that was um, obviously someone was paying attention to that too and and cared, right? Yeah, I remember seeing this kid uh, this this in the theaters as a kid, and uh, I don't have clear memories of all the movie of, of like my experience of the movie, but I remember going back to the car and it was dark outside and it was cold, and I was worried that there might be a gremlin that had snuck under the car. And fucked with the mechanics. And two hours before that moment, I didn't know what a gremlin was, <laughs> you know. But now I'm worried. But you'd about seen it. one break the, <laughs> sever the brake line on the cop car. Exactly, right? you know. <laughs> um, so it lit a fuse in my imagination as a young person, and for that I will always love it. And I think, as far as '80s summer spectacles go, it's aged fairly gracefully. Was it a summer spectacle? I believe it did come out in the summer. Uh, contrary to the fact that it was a Christmas set, I think it was a summer release. Hmm. I believe this was the year because Feldman had uh, two movies released that summer. Uh, he had Friday the 13th, the final chapter, the immortal classic, <laughs> and uh, and Gremlins. Oh, and I did I did like his character dressed up as the tree. <laughs> and then when he was coming into the Peltzers to bring them their trees, he's struggling and struggling and struggling. He goes like, ah, oh, Christ. Yeah. <laughs> rips the hat off. Yeah, it was the 80s where kids could say shit like that. You know? <laughs> yeah. Gremlins is a fun movie. Again, you're, it's not going to teach you anything. <laughs> but, 
but it's going to no pass one. 96 minutes. And, well, it seemed know. to me like the, that you got, you fed them after midnight and they turned into a bunch of two-year-olds. Yeah, yeah so exactly. So it was kind of sort of a, I, I did see sort of parallels between that and the children yeah. in that respect, that that they they were just, and I, I re, I'm sorry, I really love that characterization that they really loved being gremlins. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever that meant. Yeah. And they you know, and it was it wasn't it wasn't easy being green no. for them. Uh, there was the one who got shot at the card table. Uh, other things would go wrong and someone would get a bat to the back of the head. Yeah. But that's that's part of gremlining. Yeah. Apparently. You have to you better be amusing yourself and everyone around you because otherwise your death will be that amusing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Or just stay out of the... But they can't. You know, they can't just stay in the background. They're like a bunch of people competing for attention. And if you get, like, exactly like you said, if you got the attention and you didn't do something with it... Um, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Clap. It's like the perpetual audition where the if the judges do not like the audition, they gun your shit down. Yeah, it's not just that cane coming yeah, out yeah. from the wings. The gong show taken to its logical extreme. <laughs> It's sort of like the running man. <laughs> glad I saw it again, and I'm glad that it didn't ruin my impressions of it from when I saw it ages yeah. ago. It holds up over time. And the Christmas theme is legit. Yep. Period. Good times. six was saint okay saint saint uh not for as as we said in the when we weren't recording not for any other reason than somebody has to be last right i thought it was an okay movie uh i thought it was cohesive in as much as it was going to be for what it was trying to do yeah um and it was fun and it had moments where i laughed but it it just wasn't for whatever reason for whatever handful of reasons not as good as the top five yeah if you will so that was that was my number six. Uh, my number five was rare exports, um, and I again, uh, like I said, I think somewhere in here, I enjoyed all six of them. Yeah. There was not one that I went like I wanted to to come strangle you for having saddled me with two hours or an hour and a half of right. nonsense. Um, Rare exports again, uh, and I, I guess I've kind of categorized both of them because of, uh, and maybe this was it. Maybe I got overwhelmed with the alternate Santa Claus story. Yeah. Um, or maybe it was, uh, maybe it was the the reading the subtitles right. and the challenge that goes along with that. Maybe there was that sort of subconscious factor of that taking away a little bit from what otherwise I would have enjoyed. If There's I was, a level of separation. If I'd just taken the time to learn uh, Dutch <laughs> yeah. and Finnish. Uh, I, maybe That's I'm the level of commitment I'm expecting from my guests. <laughs> I'm really shooting myself in the foot in that respect. <laughs> Fair enough. And then my number four was Black Christmas. As I said, uh, not in and of itself, and as we both talked about, not in and of itself a great slasher flick, but I had to give it, uh, I had to give it, the uh, the context 
yeah. and and for what it was at the time and 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 again there were just some some really great moments that really were kind of ancillary to the plot um the Margot Kidder character opening the beer in the cop shop, yeah. that sort of thing, or the 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 uh, the charity, which is really just a foul mouth Santa, and her getting the kids drunk. Um, I I got a bit of a kick out of that. The wall hangings. Yeah. The there was a big scene with the Mrs. Garrett kind of covering up some wall hanging. Yeah, she had this interesting thing where she seemed to not like and be kind of irritated by all the girls, and yet she would still take the time to cover up the posters that were embarrassing when the parents were around. So exactly. She had their backs in that respect. Well, maybe it was her own back though, because if people complained about what the girls were getting away with, mm. she might be let go. So yeah. There, again, that's all academic, but maybe it wasn't so altruistic <laughs> as as it was presented that way. Uh, my number three was P two. Okay, uh, a good a good sort of thriller and suspenseful, uh, but not not. Um, and again, there are only so many stories out there. It's yeah. not so much you know. There's a beginning and a middle and an end. Uh, it's going from here to here to here. Uh, how does it come out? We're not necessarily sure. But uh, I thought it was solid writing, but not. I, I didn't see much unique about it. Yeah. yeah. As far as that goes, they were trying like hell to 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 make it as cool as they can and, and hide the fact that we have sort of seen this movie before. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, my number two was the children. All right. Um, because as we said, in terms of horror, the the psychological aspect of the parents being attacked by their children and their unwillingness to accept that reality. That was really and it 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 stings. Yeah. It, it really it really challenged it really challenged me and I had a really hard time picking the top two for that mm -hmm. exact reason. As far as a horror film goes, very effective. Yeah. Because and just by picking that theme, mm -hmm. um, you could do lots of things with it. And I think what they did with it, I mean they didn't spend a lot of time establishing and at first, I I kind of graded against it. They didn't spend a lot of time establishing the, the, um, <laughs> the affinity or just the blatant unreserved love that parents would and should have for their kids. But I think they it, just but, took that as understood in a lot but of then, ways. Yeah. But then they it turns out they really didn't need to later on, like when the woman was sitting on the stairs and the kids are coming for her and she just resigns herself to dying rather than hurting one of them mm -hmm. in spite of everything else. Yeah. In spite of everything else. So that was... It sort of came home in scenes that followed up. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, number one was Gremlins. Nice. Just because just uh, the production values were there, the story was there, the uh, the characterization of the Mogwai, the characterization of all the Gremlins, and, and the, the way they played with them, mm -hmm. um, all those horrible little characters and their impish little ways, which were murderous at times, but sometimes were just having a cigarette and playing poker. Yeah. You know, um, uh, for, for no other reason than it just, it was... It was just fun and it held up. And maybe because I was excited that it was still good yeah. these many years later. <laughs> it continues to defy expectations mm -hmm. in that respect. I'm sorry, no prize today. Although it's fun doing this. The prize is the enjoyment we have with each other's company and the fucking Christmas spirit that we yeah, engendered yeah. together. And the beer that we drank. Anyway, uh, here I'm going to do my ranking here in just one second here. Uh, I put Saint in sixth place, just like you did. Um, yeah, 
Just like I said, it's style as substance, this movie, in a lot of ways. But it has great style. And like I say, I would love to see this director do something that, you know, maybe had a little more story to it, to this, to, to, to go with the spectacle. In fifth place, I put P2. Ooh. Again, uh, well, very well made. And everybody's doing, uh, working as hard as they can to make this very familiar premise seem like it's not a very familiar premise. And I give points. Very watchable movie. Very quick movie. Also probably the weakest out of this list on the theme of Christmas. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it maybe a little bit lower in, in that respect as well. In fourth position, I put Black Christmas. Um, and I think Black Christmas and P2. Oh. Uh, Black Christmas and P2 were tough ones. Those two could have blurred and gone back and forth on, on my mood on a given moment of a given day. But like we said... So I guessed your bottom three then. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, not to spoil it, I've guessed <laughs> your, your top, top three. three. Just not quite in the same order. Oh, shit, I spent all that time building that moment and <laughs> gave it away. <laughs> um, it deserves big kudos for being first. It wasn't the most successful, but it was first. It did beat Halloween to the gate in that one, in that way. And Halloween, whether it was deliberate or not, you know, it sure seems like a lot is being borrowed there. Uh, just so. And Canadian made, which I respect. In third position is where those lovable gremlins ended up in my mind. Um, and I, I agree too that, that, you know, they're a big part of my childhood. So nostalgia plays a big feat in this. Um, there is a level of goofiness that, that pushes the envelope at times. Like Gizmo driving around in that Barbie car, which oh, is for right. some reason <laughs> fully functional. This just a detail that we're just allowed, just is expected to just take right on the she chin. She Stewart littled the heck out of that car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but again... She, I'm assuming that Gizmo... Gizmo Hishi? I don't know. We never got to see between the bits. Is there... Or, they might not even have genders. Because <laughs> well, they not, don't they're need not, to. They're, they're out of asexual reproduction. That's right. right. That's right. Uh, anyway, uh, I have fun with Gremlins, but it's harder to, to get like passionate about Gremlins too. It, it's a fun, goofy movie, yeah, uh, and it is what it is. Uh, in second place, controversially perhaps, surprisingly perhaps, I put The Children. Oh. <laughs> um, the Children is the horror movie of this bunch of movies in, in a lot of respects. Uh, there's not a lot of fun to the children. And uh, speaking as a parent, it does speak to me on a fairly dark, primal level. And uh, I don't think there's a scenario where I could do harm to my children. I just don't. I don't think it's there. Well, I know but, you have to say that because we're recording. Of course, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, you know, it is so dark that it, it, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to rewatch. Even as a horror-hardened fan coming back to watch this for well, round and, two. And, and it is difficult for that reason. And it, it, is, it is, the premise is ultimately, it is horrible. Yeah. It is horror. Yeah. And uh, not, I gotta... And, I, it's, I, and it's not, I, and I don't think for the reason that the kids are killing their parents. Yeah. The, the horror part of it, for me, the most effective part of it, was that the parents having to respond or having, or being called to respond. Yeah. And, and be called to question in that respect. Yeah. Leaving to the number one position, Rare Exports. And uh, I think what's really tipping this one over the edge for me is, like I say, there's no precedent to this. There's no, like, 
I can't compare this movie to anything else. It's so original that I just want people to see it. And especially as like, I'm a big believer in alternate Christmas movies, you know. I love to watch movies like The Ref or Bad Santa or Die Hard <laughs> at Christmas time. You know, those are more my Christmas movies than, you know, It's a Wonderful Life or Miracle and, you know, any of those movies. Like, uh, I like this slightly subversive sort of Christmas tale and Rare Exports definitely brings <clears throat> that there just ain't a movie like it and uh, I could see this being sort of a fun you know Christmas tradition if your family has got a bit of a dark bend to them but not and, and the thing about it was it wasn't really that dark <laughs> it wasn't as dark as even Gremlins yeah because I don't think anyone died in it well except for the Santa goat the Santa goes, yeah, right? he gets exploded. I think that a lot of the workers on the on the top of the mountain are killed, but oh. we don't we don't see it happen. We just all of a sudden they're gone. It's a bit, it's a bit Chekhovian in that way, yeah. But the the darkness of like the just those Santa creatures and the destroying of all the elk and uh, the fact that his father was a butcher and the fact that we had a kid in grave peril throughout this quote-unquote Christmas movie. Well, the kid becomes the hero, too, The right? kid is the hero. A self-sacrificing hero. Yeah. He, uh, he actually survives it, but he was willing to. The sweetest thing about it is that as he drops himself to the snowy landscape, presumably at the time, he thinks to his own death. The words he gives out to the pilot uh, in the translation is, please tell my dad what I did. Yeah. In the end, this is all just to get his dad to love him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's a uh, redemption movie. Yeah, it is. It's, it's From weird. someone who doesn't need redemption. Yeah, he's a great little kid. <laughs> he doesn't yeah. do this, you know. But his dad finally realizes that. So, you know, it is kind of a feel-good Christmassy movie in that respect it's as well. Oddly, yes. So, yeah, right in the heartstrings. Yeah. I don't know. I we, just We killed Santa, and now things are better. The Again, I, on my mood and on the day, Rare Exports and the Children could flip back and forth. But I, again, I go back to this as, you know, have yourself a scary little Christmas. It is the, <laughs> is the name of this episode. Oh, now you tell me that's the theme. <laughs> that The tagline should come at the beginning, Larry. <laughs> well, they're Christmas-themed horror movies. And I know that The Children is more of a horror movie. But I think Rare Exports is going to get more repeat business from me <laughs> than The Children. So I think it got number one maybe because of that. But again, there's a lot of other Christmas... Silent Night, Deadly Night has several several chapters, five or six, I think. Uh, it's a killer Santa Claus, and there's killer snowmen, and there's, you know, um, a great number of shitty Christmas-themed movies. So it's nice that I actually have six movies in my collection that, that did the job for this podcast. I kind of, you know, we'll call that a win. And so it was, we came to the end of our very special Christmas episode of Rank and Review. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you had a very happy holiday season. Uh, wherever you are, whoever you are listening to the show, I really appreciate it. Please seek us out on iTunes and give us a positive review, or seek out the show's page on Facebook and like us. Let me know you're out there and listening, and um, I'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Rank and Review. This is your friend and host and random Canadian wishing you well in the new year.